Welcome to Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark. In this episode, I'm speaking once again with Frank McIndoo. Frank runs a direct portfolio of Australian equities called KEEP, the Coda Enduring Equities Portfolio. We, touch, we talk to Frank about the last six months and the last year and what he describes as the most difficult time to invest money in the markets since the Second World War. He talks about the move in the 10-year in the bond rate and how that move has led to massive re-rating in the markets. We also talked to him about a few companies where he believes the share price doesn't reflect the future prospects of the business. Remember, this podcast isn't, nor is it designed to be specific or general advice. People are encouraged to listen to the disclaimer at the end of the recording and to also seek their own advice uh, and read relevant uh, offer documents before considering any investments. Please remember to keep your feedback coming. You can email me at david.clark at codacapital.com. I hope you enjoy the episode. Frank McIndoo, welcome back to Inside the Road. Good to be here as always. Now, Frank, it's, it's been a little while. We've been trying to keep uh, updates going to listeners every six months or so. We might have crept over that a little, a little bit, but evidently lots have lots uh, has changed over the last six months. Do you want to maybe give the listeners a bit of a, a background uh, as to how markets have changed and how that has affected keep over that period? Well, uh, you know, we're still in, well, in fact, even more so, I would say the most difficult and volatile markets really since uh, the Second World War. I mean, just geopolitically, you know, until the day it happened, nobody believed, you know, we we're going to have all out uh, hot war in, <clears throat> in the middle of Europe. Um, we've got, you know, China uh, severely affected by the COVID measures. We've got America, you know, going through one of its periodic pretty... Uh, uh, you know, they're fighting amongst themselves a lot. I mean, which is not, people think it's terrible, but, you know, it's no worse than the 60s and 70s. I mean, this happens in the US quite regularly. Uh, that's not to say it might get, get worse than then, but, you know, they had all sorts of rioting in the 60s, which was a real problem. Um, but the other thing is COVID has just... It's just made working out what's going on incredibly hard because you had, you know, the unprecedented shutting down of all these economies, followed by massive fiscal and monetary stimulus, the likes of which, you know, we haven't seen certainly since the Second World War, maybe longer. And then they suddenly end. So, you know, you've got effectively a massive fiscal tightening in the US and here and all sorts of other countries. So it's a bit of a mess, really. And so I, I absolutely granted, and we've seen massive re-rating of particularly growth stocks um, and anything growth orientated, um, bearing in mind that the KEEP or the CODA Enduring Equities portfolio, the portfolio of Australian shares, 
um, that you manage um, is and, and has been quite growth orientated. How has that fared in the numbers uh, you know, when compared to the ASX? I suspect, and you know, I probably know from conversation with you and, and working with it, that you know, the ASX more broadly benefited from an overexposure to energy and some commodities, which sort of spiked up. But how have the numbers looked, Frank? Uh, they're the worst they've been for certainly since uh, when Trump was elected. It was a difficult period because banking shares and resources shares that we tend to be pretty short on uh, did very well then and they've done very well the last six months relatively. Um, I should make it clear, nothing gets into the keep portfolio unless I expect it's going to outgrow the economy over the next five years. That's that's the test. So it really is all a growth portfolio. So even if I want to put, uh, and there are, there's a little bit of resources uh, in there at the moment. Uh, partly, was I started putting some in two or three years ago when I thought maybe we we're going to get a bit of an upsurge in inflation. Um, and also because there does seem to have been consistent underinvestment in resources for the last decade. Um, so those two things made me think that if I selected the right stocks, we would get better than um, GDP growth out of a couple of resources counters. And that's, that's worked well. And in fact, probably saved the bacon um, over the last six months to a degree, I would think we're probably, I think, underperforming over the last six months by about 8%, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I would say in amongst all uh, the very messy goings-on in macroeconomics, the key thing has been that since the beginning of the year, or from the beginning of the year, the 10-year bond rate went from 1.6% to it reached as high as 4.1% uh, in June. So that's so a huge move. That's a massive move. And when you do your valuations, you know, the, the number one input is your risk-free rate, which most people take to be either the 10-year bond or what they think the 10-year bond should be. Um, so a 2.5% increase in your risk-free rate has an enormous effect and it adversely affects growth stocks uh, much more heavily because their cash flows on average are far more distant than uh, you know, stocks where you're just earning uh, an income with no particular expectation of growth. Uh, and so if you told me in, on the 1st of January, uh, bond rates were going to go up 2.5%. I wouldn't have needed to know about the Ukraine. I would have said this is going to be a terrible period for, for these stocks um, and indeed for most other assets, to be honest. Um, been a bit of a bonfire for, for bonds as well. And Frank, are you finding any companies where the share price is portraying one picture and what the company is telling you, how their trading looks quite different? 
Well, look, I mean, you know, um, though the markets um, tend to be efficient, they're sort of weakly efficient in the sense that, you know, it's the old saying from Ben Graham that in um, the short run, the market's a voting machine, in the long run, it's a weighing machine. Mm -hmm. So, you, look, you, this is how you make money as a stock picker is because you think the market is inefficient in the short run, but in the long run, if you get the fundamentals right, it will be efficient. So you sort of depend on uh, both short-term inefficiency and long-term efficiency. That's the whole rationale for being a stock picker. Correct. And, and, and I, I, the reason why someone would put money into something like Keep rather than an ETF, for instance. So are there any demonstrable examples you can think of at the moment within the portfolio where if you're looking at the share price alone, you'd say, oh, gee, that company's struggling or it's got a lot of headwinds or hasn't been doing well. But management and other things are telling you, well, it's actually doing quite well. Well, um, you know, there are a number that spring to mind. I mean, one is actually just because it's a, a good case because everybody knows the company is CSL. So it is, uh, it's still 20% below where it was in March 2020. Mm -hmm. And not many people think that CSL is a badly managed company. Um, in that case, I think it's, it's more that people are putting, as they often do, you know, recency bias, they're putting more emphasis on the short term and the short term in plasma collections has obviously been adversely affected by uh, COVID. Um, nobody, I think, expects that to be a long-term thing, but that doesn't stop people weighting that too heavily when it comes to the share price. Um, it is obviously, you know, it's very much a long-term stock too, so, you know, the, the increase in bond rates haven't done done it any favours, but the thing that distinguishes it is really the short-term COVID effects, which uh, people just say, well, that, that determines how it's going to work in the next three months, and I only care about the next three months. Um, really, probably, you know, you're always trying to think, do you have an edge? If so, what is it? If you don't have an edge, well, you're probably better off in ETFs. Um, but I think our edge is that we take a five-year view and there's not much competition uh, in people taking a five-year view. Uh, most of the money is taking a one-quarter or two-quarter or, you know, out on a good day, a 12-month view. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to compete with them uh, and probably just as well because we wouldn't do very well. And, and how are you thinking about a company like Pepper Home Loans, which is new to the portfolio and new to the markets? So Pepper Money, that's a very interesting one because it is, I think the market is treating it as a new company where, in fact, it's been going since 2001 uh, and they sailed happily through the GFC. They sailed happily through uh, the COVID initial crisis they managed that all very well but the market is treating it as if they've only just got into this business and they have no idea what they're doing so uh that is certainly one where i think 
um, over time, uh, you know, the market will come to recognise that it's a, actually a very well-managed company. I mean, there is also, um, as a short-term thing, with rising interest rates, you think, okay, maybe that means higher default rates. Maybe they'll have to make provisions for higher default rates, even if they don't experience very high default rates. They know their customer base very well, and they have prided themselves over the last 20 years in managing risks very well with low, very low actual bad debts. And I think the market is just presuming much higher bad debts than there's any evidence for. But, you know, that's what, that's what happens. And Frank, how are you thinking about clients who are looking to deploy cash? Um, of course, these things are very hard to predict and very hard to get right in the short term. Um, I've always found myself over the last 20 years managing clients through crises such as the dot-com, the GFC, taper tantrums, COVID. You always tend to look back at periods where there are downturns and you know, you're forced to do as Rhett Kessler uh, likes to say a little bit of vomit buying, you, you look back and you, you inevitably sort of say, well, why didn't I buy more? Um, how are you thinking about people looking to deploy cash at the moment? Well, so if, if um, outside keep, so I'm assume, I always assume that keep is their growth Australian equities, mm -hmm. their growth Australian equities, it's not their, their whole portfolio. So I don't second guess their asset allocation. So Keep is always very close to fully invested. You know, I might go as conservative as 95% if I think, oh, I can see a couple of things coming up. I know where I'm going to invest that money. But basically, it's fully invested the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I have been concerned for years about overvaluing valuation in the US market. So I've been telling my clients more generally that they should be at the conservative end of whatever their asset allocation is. Um, but then, you know, within KEEP itself, it remains, you know, pretty close to 100% invested. And Frank, are there any parts of the market that you're looking to enter at the moment and any of those that you're trying to avoid actively? I noticed you, you, you flagged there that a time back you flagged, you thought there may be some inflation coming through. So you've got some commodities exposure. Um, I noticed you've had a little bit more uh, exposure to some of the infrastructure type assets. Um, is there anything at the moment that you'd say, gee, this would be terrific if I could find something that looked and felt like this or, and also counter to that, are there any things you're saying, gee, in this environment, I'm really wanting to avoid this type of company? Well, I think um, infrastructure, well, transport infrastructure, um, uh, like Transurban and Atlas Arteria, I think, you know, they um, obviously suffered during COVID from lower traffic numbers, but I think they're going to come through that very strongly. In fact, I think in particular transurban, um, I think people are massively underestimating the likely growth in um, traffic there. 
you know, the, the March quarter was a bit disappointing, but it was that was because January and February were terrible because of the Omicron surge. March was actually pretty good. So I would expect this next, you know, the June quarter, which they're about to report to be very good. Um, and in fact, I think the whole working from home uh, effect will be net beneficial for them because I think people who used to take public transport, you know, they get their weekly ticket and go in every day, blah, blah, blah. But if they're only going in two or three days, I think they're more likely to take the car, but maybe take it outside uh, peak hour. Mm -hmm. So I think what you'll end up is a longer peak hour, which is, is good for transurban. You get better, uh, better use of the roads. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the toll roads will continue to be good. I mean, the, the problem, I've always liked infrastructure. I mean, I, you know, if you can find something which has no competition, that's really, that's what you're after. <laughs> Pretty um, helpful. Uh, so, you know, obviously losing Sydney Airport uh, as an op option was unfortunate. So, uh, you know, if, we, if there, were, there were more infrastructure-style plays, that would be nice, um, but they seem to be diminishing rather than um, increasing just because of the appetite of um, super funds who like to have them and in particular, they like to have them in a way where they don't fluctuate. So if they're listed, then they go up and down with the market, whereas if they're unlisted, they just mark them to model and they say, oh, well, this thing always goes up exactly 8% of the year, and that makes them look good. I mean, it's probably actually concealing underlying volatility, but, you know, that, that makes the super fund managers look good. So yeah. they're prepared to pay more for it often than the private markets. A little bit like residential property. Most people get evaluation the day they sell and the, the day they buy and the day they sell and they're often 10 plus years apart. So they think it's a wonderful straight line. Whereas if they held an auction every, uh, every minute of every day out the side of the house, they, they'd get a very different result. Yeah. Um, Frank, on the flip side, was there any areas of the market that you're actively trying to avoid or, you know, that you're saying, hey, I just don't want to be part of that given the current outlook? Well, look, I mean, we continue to hold no major banks. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, notwithstanding, actually, interestingly, demise of the neobank vault, uh, nevertheless, I do think just gradually there are going to be plenty of, um, people who will be happy to take on uh, bits of their traditional market, which they often can't do because the regulator makes it hard for them, mm -hmm. um, or just the general capital allocation rules, which mean that um, the return on capital is much better in areas like residential mortgages because the risk weighting is so low. So they can gear that up a lot more. And other areas that they traditionally would have leaned into, they just don't do anymore. Um, and that creates opportunities for other players. Look, as you know, Coda clients will be very familiar with all the private debt providers and an awful lot of what they do is only exactly what the major banks used to do 
uh, half a dozen or 10 years ago, uh, and they've seeded that space, and it's very profitable business for our clients. Terrific. Now, but there are, more, there are more, you say, the uh, personal loans uh, are going that way too. Um, equipment financing is going that way. So there are just more and more bits of the majors, traditional businesses that they're deliberately shedding and others are very happy to take up. And I think those others um, are able to do that with much more economical business models in terms of, you know, they have much higher quality uh, tech, mm -hmm. partly because they're just starting with a clean sheet of paper. Yeah, they've got no legacy problems and, and, the, no ben and the benefit of focus. Yeah. So tend they're pretty good about if that's all you do, you tend to get pretty good at it. Exactly. So they're able just to do, do it much more efficiently with a fraction of the workforce. Uh, and in fact, they also generally they fund themselves uh, by means other than taking deposits from the public. Mm -hmm. so therefore, they don't have you know, any of the regulatory issues yep. or fund fewer. They'll have, still have some regulatory issues, thoracic or whatever, but um, they've got a lot less regulatory issues, which in itself makes the business a lot cheaper. Yes, absolutely. Now, Frank, Keeps had a wonderful track record with very, very strong double-digit returns over the long term. Uh, is there any reason or anything that you're seeing that you believe it won't have that sort of track record in the medium to long term going forward? Well, I think now, from starting from today, I think the Australian market is pretty fairly valued. And I don't see that there's any been any sort of revocation of the rules of capitalism to say that um, uh, we should do worse over the next 20 years than we have over the last 100 and whatever. And, you know, historically, going back to about 1900, there are numbers that have been collected and they show the Australian market is doing pretty much inflation plus seven. So uh, that's what I would hope the market would do. And if uh, Keep can add a bit of value, I, both through uh, perhaps avoiding some of the losers and maybe finding the occasional uh, exceptional company, uh, you know, maybe we can add a bit of value beyond that, which that, and that's the aim. But part of it is also, as compared with an ETF, um, I, mean, I can remember talking to a client years ago who was an American who had come to Australia to be treasurer of an organisation, and he said, look, we're investing all this money in direct stocks, but why don't we just use ETFs? And I said, well, would you be comfortable having 30% of your money in financials and 25% in resources? And he said, hell no. And I said, well, in that case, Australian ETFs probably aren't for you. So I think there is uh, value in um, effectively lowering risk, even if you actually ended up with the same return. Mm -hmm. But if you can avoid the more cyclical, the more leveraged sectors, you probably get taking less risk for the same return. So you could be getting the same return 
but with lower volatility and lower risk, risk and volatility, of course, being different things. Um, so I think there's, there's value to be added in the lower risk as well as in better performance. Yep, terrific. Well, Frank, thank you. I think that's been a terrific update that uh, our listeners will enjoy and those people particularly who follow Keep. More than happy to leave you with the last word if there's any other thoughts you think are particularly pertinent that you'd like to make before I thank you. Um, now's your opportunity. Well, I think uh, just as the last six months has been dominated by macro effects, you know, the rise in bond rates, um, you know, macro is incredibly uncertain. And so that's one of the reasons it's stock selection is very much a five-year view, not really taking a macro view. But if any of the listeners know for sure what bond rates are going to do over the next six months, um, I'd be very pleased to hear from them. Uh, my own two cents worth, and it's probably not worth much more than two cents, is we may well have seen the peak in bond rates with glo the global economy looking as if it's slowing. And if that's the case, you know, the next six months uh, could be a very good six months for Keep. Terrific. Well, I'll be keeping an eye and we'll check back in in six months' time. Frank, thank you very much for your time. All right. Pleasure as always. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.